In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, when I die, that's one of the hymns that I want. So, the, We're getting in our uh, idols that we never knew we had. So these are not real obvious idols. And the idol, remember I said originally, I took this from a Northwestern publishing house. Um, they had a Bible class, and I thought this would be really good. So I took all those ideas. This, this got me twice. The last time was on orthodoxy. I thought, oh, that's a really good topic, except I'm the one who made that up. So then I had to do... Uh, a whole bunch of research, and that, that was the last time. So it got me again because I thought technology, yeah, that people obsess about technology. And I'm kind of wondering, maybe you're wondering, where are you going to go with technology? My friend called me up, and when I told him I was preaching on technology, and he said, like, uh, are you going to preach about, like, new modern roads? I'm like, okay, very funny. So then, so there's a couple places you could go with this. Do you, I don't know if you knew this, but the average person touches their face 3,000 times a day. That sounds like a lousy job to count that, but 3,000 times a day. If you're, op- you're awake like 16 hours, that's 187 times every single hour. So three times a minute, you're making contact with your face. So now you're going to be counting during the sermon, like how, how much is that that happened? So three times a minute, but this is one route I could have gone. Do you know how much the average person makes reference to their phone or checks their phone? Not Pastor Burkles, who has a flip phone. That's seven times a day. But the average person with a real phone, that costs more than $6.99. The average person, 2,500 times a day. That's the average person. That's about two-plus hours a day that you're looking at your phone. Now, if you're a power user, that explodes way beyond that. It's 5,500 times a day you're checking your phone. That's four hours a day. So you're awake 16 hours, one-fourth of your life while you're awake, you're checking your phone. Now, I think that's conceivable. Because in my lifetime, I've kind of gone from the, a Palm Pilot, it, this is going to totally date me, the Palm Pilot and the Palm 5 and then the Clie, and then they merged into the uh, phone and a, like a PDA in one and then the Apple iPhone and now I'm on uh, Apple 5, um, 6, something like that. I, I lose track. They all, they all start to look the same now. So I was going to go down that route because as awesome as technology is, is because we can get to the ends of the earth to try and spread the gospel. As awesome as technology is to know that you can have something on the internet and everybody in the world can hear it, there's a lot of not awesome things that come with it. So obviously you can start illicit relationships, you can do things on your phone, you can watch things on your phone, you can be at work, and if you're on your phone four hours a day, I'm assuming, this is an assumption, that you're not always totally productive with that phone at work. I mean, this is, this is just a guess. Like when your boss comes in and they're like, uh, hey, are you checking stocks? Yes, stock of my fantasy football team. You know, like, or, are you doing research? I am doing research for Christmas presents. You know, like there's a lot of things you can do that aren't super awesome. That, that's not the direction I'm going. So I, I, I tempted that for a while and I thought, uh, maybe I, I felt too guilty myself for how often I look at my own phone. I, did, I wasn't ready to, for that sermon. Instead, technology in general... Technology in general simply is technos. It comes from a Greek word talking about hands or skill. And it's our, as a group of people, as a world, running into a problem and using our brain and using our skill to try and find a solution. And I think if you'd summarize it, that's where it would come down to. In the biggest change, I think, in our lifetime, I could talk about, you know, modern roads, I think the biggest change, at least in my lifetime, I've seen it change, is with the computer. But you, I think with the computer, so that's where I'm, we're going to talk through computer, and then uh, it'll have a point at some point. So you might ask yourself, like, five minutes from now, is he ever going to talk on the sermon? So does anyone recognize this beautiful piece of equipment? 
It's, it's a little faded. Um, that was known as the coffee warmer over there. This is the TI-99. Did anyone have a TI-99 back in the day? 1991, these came out. All right, we did. So my parents are here. This is homage to my parents. We had zero money, and my dad was a science teacher. This is like when your uh, husband comes home with a bass boat, I think. Somehow my, my dad came home with a computer, and it was like $600 at the time, which with inflation is well over $1,000 now. So it was a huge, huge deal. The amount of memory in the TI-99 was 256 bytes. Now, just for reference, I'm going to... You didn't have to be strapped with that. This is actually about the size of the expansion box. When I, it was like the size of a dog crate. So the, it would sit on top of that. You would get 32 kilobytes more. So I'm going to just... So some of you are computer nerds. You already know what I'm talking about. So here's a chart from Google. One kilobyte, which is basically nothing, is not what I had. I only had 256 bytes. And then you could expand it basically by 100 times to get a kilobyte. The megabyte is uh, like when you send an email. Right now, you can send an email with about 10 megabytes usually. So just get this around your brain. When the Apple iPod came out, I think it was a gigabyte, wasn't it? That, the one where you had to have like a concealed weapon permit because it was like a brick. It was a weapon as well. It weighed like 10 pounds, it seemed. But it was a gigabyte in your hand. This was a big deal. So now, if, if you're not a math person, a megabyte is a thousand times bigger than a kilobyte, and a gigabyte is a thousand times bigger than a megabyte. And so now we're into terabytes mostly. So if you have some kind of online storage system at your house, it's very likely 750 gigabytes to a terabyte or maybe two or three terabytes. It's, so it's significant and how much that is literally, if my math is right, um, the supercomputer I'm going to reference in the middle is a million times more, not even a supercomputer, your Apple Watch. How many, I know some, you don't have to raise your hand because it's technology. Everyone's like, ooh, can I raise my hand? You are from the devil. No, no, maybe. So the Apple Watch has eight gigabytes, and the eight gigabytes, if my math is really bad, but it's roughly a million times more storage than my original computer had that was like this big. So has computer, have they advanced? Not just memory, though. So there's, I see there's three phases when you talk about the, the world that I understood as a kid. So I read books in third grade. I can still think of the book um, about this guy who had his friend, Rob, a Robot. It was a short little book. I actually called my third grade teacher. She was excited I remembered it, told me it. My friend Sam or something like that. So it's a book about this kid who had a robot. And that was always the dream, right? To have a robot that, you could, that could function as a human. And mostly we wanted a robot like Irona and Richie Rich that would do the laundry, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, and play tennis with herself. Those are the two things we wanted. So the dream is, but there's three aspects to that robot thing. One is the look of it, because we kind of want it to look like a human, and how well have we done so far? If you watch, like, the tech, eh. They kind of look like a wax museum, right? It, it, the, the creepiest place in the world is a wax museum. It could only get creepier if they had animatronics. I think that would, or they had clowns, and, Clowns actually are less creepy in wax form because they're not alive. That's my thought on it. Only degrees. So the, the, does it look like it? We haven't done a super awesome job at that. And the other one is can they take in their environment? That's the second thing. Can this take, can it respond and understand speech and things like that? Can it take in its environment? This is advanced hu um, hugely, I almost said. Um, it, this is advanced quite a bit. If you just think about a car, my parents got a new car they can set the environment that it follows behind the car in front of them. They set, like, um, we're going to say 100 meters. It's going to go 100 meters behind. They set it, and it speeds up or slows down in cruise control. 
which is super nice because they don't crash when they're texting their grandkids. I think this is great. And you're like, so it can take in its environment. Planes now can land on their own, right? The rockets basically land on their own when um, Elon Musk sends these rockets up to space and they come back down. They have the things. They, there's not a guy with a joystick anymore. There, there's, it's taking environmental feedback. So there's quite a bit there. And what about speech? Speech has advanced a lot. This had an, uh, mine had a speech synthesizer. With, you could barely understand. It was like listening with those things in your mouth. You could barely understand what it said. But I think speech is getting better. And would you say your phone is getting better at recognizing your own speech? This is big for me. So parts of this sermon, this is a big deal. For 15 years, I've been chasing where I can just talk, and it goes on the screen, and it's never been very good. Like Dragon, what's the Dragon one? Um, I tried that for years. and Every about three years, I try it out, and it's so terrible, it's not worth the trouble, and I don't want to go back. It's to the point now I hit function, function on my computer. I can talk, and it's remarkably close. When you send a text message, how many of your text messages are you hold down the microphone if you're over like 35 because my 40-year-old thumbs aren't very fast. So I, I hold it down, I say my thing, and I assume you can translate that, oh, he just talked into it. So, so voice is getting better. The look is in. Eh. The real question, though, is are computers as smart as human beings? This has been, this is a big thing. So this is a race that's been going on, and you might remember like 1996. Do you recognize this person? Gary Kasparov, right. So Gary Kasparov was, some consider, the greatest chess player of all time. So Gary Kasparov was going to go against Deep Blue and IBM. This is 1996. Does anyone remember this? I did not watch it, but I remember it. This was a big deal. You wanted to know if you would win. So here's a picture of Deep Blue. Naturally, Deep Blue is black. Is it that hard? I mean, is it really that typical? So Deep Blue is black, and um, they go head-to-head, and in 1996, Gary wins. And IBM takes this as a challenge, and the next year, Gary loses. I think it was 3.5 to uh, 2.5 or something like this. This was a huge deal, and as many people would, A, argue Gary could have beaten it, but that's not the point. This is a turning point where this is thought of as a thinking person's game, the computer won. So is this the ultimate test? Most people would say no. Ken Jennings is the ultimate test. So Ken Jennings, 2011... There's Ken Jennings. Um, he's playing against, i got to get it right, Watson. So he's playing against Watson. They said, okay, IBM said, let's see if we can beat Ken Jennings. Now, Ken Jennings, if you remember, for 74 straight episodes won on um, Jeopardy, which is really awesome because I think my lifetime I've got four Jeopardy questions right, and usually it's the biblical ones. Like, that's the only ones I'm like, the other ones I'm like, ah, oh, it was right there, it was right there. Do not, so if you want to humiliate me, just play me at uh, spelling, Trivial Pursuit, uh, there's, all, there's lots of things. So, so Ken Jennings goes against Watson, and do you know who won? Watson obliterated him. Obliterated him, like $70,000 to uh, $20,000, something like that. And um, this, again, was a turning point that, that that computer had four terabytes of information, 200 million full pages of information that it could comb for every single question. The human brain, just to put it in perspective, is... Uh, they estimate about 2.5 terabytes, I think it's, or petabytes, something like that. So it's still bigger, they say. But all these things, the computer, is it getting smarter than human beings? What do you think about this? I like Irona doing my laundry. I think that's pretty awesome. I like Roomba doing my vacuuming. 
what do you think when the computer, I like the idea of artificial intelligence. It's kind of fun when it's actually a challenge in games and things like that. But what happens if the world becomes sci-fi, which is half the themes, right? World, the computers get so smart that they take over. Does that creep anybody else out? When computers look more and more human and they're getting better and they can think, now the question is, can they really think? So most of us, we like technology along the way. I don't think anybody here is going, you know what? I think the wheel is dumb. I want to go back to the square. You know, no one is thinking that. And no one is thinking, I want to go back to uh, wood fire stoves. One of my friends just told me he lived in Rhode Island and they got there and it was a wood fire stove to keep the whole house warm. How many of you are thinking about going back to that? I'm so lazy, I just put in automatic drip system for my, so I don't even have to water my plants. And I put in a fake lawn. So that tells you how much I like to be you know, cultivating from my grassroots. My mom grew up in South Dakota on a farm. I've kind of spurred that, and I want as little effort as possible to make this happen. I like all that technology. I like a watch, and I would never even go back to a flip phone. for a thousand, If you said, I'll give you $1,000, I wouldn't do it. Because my mind now thinks in those terms, and it's so efficient to look things up and find things or make appointments and do uh, in calendars, and it's all there. And my wife can attest how many things I forgot before my Palm Pilot years and after. It's significant on either side, but that's not the point. It's less on this side of it. So, so we like this idea of technology moving forward, and I think we would even say the same thing with buildings. Um, has anyone ever been to Mesa Verde? Pretty awesome, right? It, it, I think it's truly remarkable, and it's like a dream as a kid who grew up with Legos, and you look at all these structures, and you think, if I had the time, I would love to build a fort like this, something really cool. Do you know what year Mesa Verde was made? I was really impressed until this fact. What year did they build this? I'm going to let this sit for a while. So do we have any guesses? Do we have a single guess? 1,800, 200 years, not quite, Darby, not quite. Okay, um, 1,000 A.D. And, and then, I, so I was really impressed. Like, this is cool. It's multiple stories. The Colosseum that we saw last week with working bathrooms and drinking fountains, four stories and trap doors and elevators was built 1,000 years before this. The pyramids were built 3,500 years before this. Like, we were building cathedrals at this point. So at the time, this is really cool, but it's really, it's actually so far backwards when it comes to technology, it's mind-blowing to me when I, when, I, when I put that together. Centuries and thousands of years before that, we get this story in the Bible. Now, the whole world, this is after the flood, and it says the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found the plain of Shinar, Shinar, and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks, which they did not do at Mesa Verde, and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone. Mesa Verde is made with stones and tar for mortar. This is a huge technological... I'm not saying this is the first time it happened, but already thousands of years ago, they had this ability to say, let's do something awesome. And I think every morning we wake up, I think, if you read the paper, you think we are doing some things that are awesome. If you read about the electric car, cars that can now control themselves and drive, you can read about missions that are going to go to Mars, one-way missions, so don't volunteer for that. Uh, so we, we, there's things that are going to happen that you just say this is unbelievable as a world, and we celebrate that. It is happening already here. 
but we've got an issue. They said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We have two things that commentators wrestle with here. They say, why did God step into their lives and discipline them? There's two things, I think. The first is God gave them a very distinct command that said, I want you to fill up the whole earth. This is my plan. When you get off this ark, go fill up the whole earth. And they said, you know what? I don't think that's a great idea. And so intertwined with that is a sense of pride. They said, we want to make a name for ourselves so that people will see us. Intersected with that is pride that says, my idea is better than God's, but I think it's all the same. So let me ask you this. Is there any command that you can break of God's that is not, in a sense, creating technology, creating a better plan than God's? So God comes to you and he says, this is my, what I have in mind for you. This is what I want you to do. And then in our minds, we construct something that says, I think I've got a better plan. So in this instance, God said, I want you to spread out over the whole earth. And they said, God, that's a great idea, but I think we got a better one. So God steps into your life and says, I want you to not commit adultery. And how many times have we thought in our own mind, you know what, God, that's a great idea, but I've got a better one. I'm going to construct something else. God says, I don't, you can have a drink have some alcohol, but don't get drunk. How many times have we said, you know, God, I see where you're coming from, but I think I've constructed a better idea. God says, I want you to use your first fruits of your money to honor and love and serve me. And we say, God, that's a great idea, but I think I've got a better one. In fact, every single time we sin, and I think I would argue this, every single time we sin, it's our own pride that says, God, I would like to construct something that's better. So, can you separate replacing that sin? Can you separate replacing God's commands with replacing God? God comes to the people as he, he comes down and he intervenes in their life. But he says very clearly, you saw no form or any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air. God says, um, not only do I want you not to change your commands, I don't want you to replace me. And so in, in order that they do not replace him, God steps into their world, and that's what we read. Sorry, I had these slides in the wrong order. If as one people speak in the same language they have begun to do this, then there's nothing they plan to do that will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. Let's replace their clarity for something else so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. It continues. That is why it's called Babel or Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. God says, if you're not going to follow my commands, I'm going to step into your life and I'm going to change some things. So that's my question that's really for you. If you look at your life, what would God take out of your life? If God just looked at your life, I know we're not building towers. I don't imagine any of you are building towers. Or it's not, you're not trying to make a replica of a devil's tower like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You're not doing weird stuff like that, but you're building your own things, and you're doing your own things. If God could step into your own life and say, this thing is pulling you from me, and God would take it away, what would it be? 
what would God take from you? That you said, this is where my value is. This is, what, this is where I make a name for myself, God. You know, you have a great idea, but I've got something else. Would God take away your job? Because this has become number one in your life. Would God take away your family? Would he take away your money? If God was going to do the same thing he did to those people and he just stepped into your life, what would he take? Would he take away your internet connection? Would he take away your car? Like, what, would he take away your house? Would he take away your kids? Would he take away your pets? What would God have to come into your life to say, you know what? Drastic action here. This has to go from your life because this is too important. You can't replace God's commands without replacing God. And I think we like to replace things all the time. Right? How many of you, uh, 50%, 90% of my orders from Amazon are replacements. How many of you replace things? All the time. So I got this idea, I was traveling, and now I feel like I'm a big traveler because I've traveled like twice in a month. So I thought, hey, I got to get a garment bag. This is going to be great. So I do all this research, and then I find one that's some name, something in Bailey or something. It's regularly $420. Of course, I check eBay, and I can find it for $60, and I order it. It is a total albatross. So Amy and I put our stuff in there for our trip. It's two days. The thing weighed like 50 pounds. I put the shoulder strap, and the shoulder strap broke. But there's a lifetime warranty, so I got, I got that going for me. How many things have you replaced? How many things have you looked at, and then you said, I want to get rid of it? So just, think, just imagine walking through your house, and you're looking through your closet. Are there shirts you wouldn't mind getting rid of? Right? How many of you, I shouldn't say this out loud, because maybe you just put gold fixtures in your bathroom, but if you didn't, how many of you look at the gold fixtures in your bathroom and think, you know what, I wouldn't mind something else? Or you see the carpeting on your walls and you think, man, I wouldn't mind if it was 1972. You know, like how many of you look at your car and you say, I wish I could replace this. It feels really awesome to replace things, doesn't it? And I think it feels even better when you're the one replacing. How many of you have been on a sports team and the coach looks down the line and he says, I want you in the game now because they're not doing it? How many of you have replaced someone at your job? Someone had your job, and they weren't cutting it, and they said, we've got to find somebody else, and they see you, and they said, we want you to be here. How many of you have, your spouse dated someone else? Imagine that. Your spouse dated someone else, and then when they met you, they said, this is the one. Like, you are so much better. Like, it feels so good, doesn't it, to be the one who replaces? But my real question is, how many of you have been replaced? And it's not so fun. And it doesn't feel so good. It doesn't feel good to be the person when they step into your office and say, you know what, we're going to go a different direction. It doesn't feel good even that that's your job. I mean, that's just your job. It doesn't feel good when your friends find other friends and they're not hanging out with you anymore. That doesn't feel so good. How does it feel when your kids became teens and suddenly you're influenced and they adored you and they wanted to hear all your advice and now they're getting advice from someone else? Their peers seem to have this big sway over them. How many of you, and I'll ask this, uh, have experienced a spouse who said, you know what, I'm going to get somebody else. I don't want you anymore. I don't want you in my life anymore. I want somebody else. I think there's a reason why when God talks about idolatry, he talks about it as adultery, because it's the closest thing we can get to the heartbreak that our God must feel as we stand before him and God says, I love you, I long for you, I want to have a relationship with you, I'll do anything for you. And you say, God, 
I want somebody else. I don't want you anymore. I don't want to listen to you, and I don't want you as my God. I've got my own ideas. If you could be, if you could just imagine what it's like to be replaced and to be in that room, what would you say to the person who just said to you, you know what, I found an upgrade? What would you say as that feeling is just crushing your heart? What would you say, what would you do? What would you do to the boss who said, hey, I'm done with you? What would you say? And now just think about what our God says as we come to him again and again and again and says, God, we don't want you. And we're not upgrading from God. You can't upgrade from God. This is like your spouse leaving you to go out with some person who's a prostitute addicted to drugs. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? That's what God looks at us. And instead of destroying us, instead of throwing us out like I do with a suitcase, instead of throwing us out like garbage and saying, hey, this computer, I'm done with you. I got something new. God doesn't throw you out. He doesn't throw you out because he wants you. He loves you. And he says, I want to do whatever I can possibly do, not to replace you, but I want to replace my son on the cross with you. Instead of your hands getting pounded in, he says, I'm going to put my son there. Instead of your sins damning you to hell, he says, I'm going to send my son there. Instead of you being crushed and taking all of God's wrath, God says, I'll send it on my son. You're not replaced. You're irreplaceable. So God fixes you. There isn't a single thing as a human being that's going to last forever. We might get to Mars in my lifetime. We might get a phone that can actually understand me. You know, we might get all these amazing things. But technology breaks, right? Challenger crashes. I guarantee we're going to have failed missions to Mars before we have a successful one. There is nothing a human being will do that will last forever. And the one thing that should, our mistakes and our sin and our rebellion of replacing God, should last forever in hell. And yet God says, not even that will last forever. Come to me who are weary and burdened. Come to me in forgiveness. Come to me because I'm not replacing you. I want you forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we look at all the gods we put in our lives, and we've built these with our own hands. We've created these in our own hearts. So our hearts are an idol factory. So many things that we long for. Let us step back and say, when we replace your commands, we're really replacing you. When we replace you, we're saying to you, you aren't good enough. And somehow, it, because of your love and your grace, you don't destroy us. You don't throw us out and say, I'll find someone new. Instead, you step into our world. You shake things up. You call us to repentance, and you bring us home. You love us, and you care for us, and you build us up, and you say, your sins are now gone. Go and live with me forever.